Welcome to the five things this week in social. This is the Webby award-winning podcast that looks at five stories from social data, content, AI, e-com, and tech to give you something smart to say when you're asked, what event is the Super Bowl of advertising? Well, it's obviously the Super Bowl of advertising. If you're a marketer, an advertiser, a creator, or anyone who makes a living by using social platforms, then you are going to want to keep listening because today we are breaking down the five biggest trends we learned from watching, analyzing, and roller skating our way through Super Bowl 58. The only TV program more watched than the 2024 Super Bowl was the 1969 moon landing broadcast. The quote-unquote big game was watched on CBS, Paramount Plus, and Nickelodeon to a whopping 123 million viewers, according to Nielsen, a 7% year-over-year increase from last year. The game was in Las Vegas. It was a spectacle for fans and non-fans alike. Between Usher's halftime show and SpongeBob's kid-friendly broadcast, tons of celebrities, stunts, a streaker, ads, and somewhere in there was an exciting football game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. There was literally something for everyone, including Beyonce fans. We are here to break down the trends that we saw at Gray that were the most exciting to us. It's gonna be a fun show. We have a first timer on the pod joining me for a very special one-on-one conversation from Gray, it's brand strategist, Mahal Booksbaum. Hello, Mahal, welcome to the show. Hi, Joey, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. We're so excited to have you. Question for you, what is your favorite Super Bowl food? Do you like the wings, the chili, the nachos? That's a great question. I have to go with the wings, it's a classic. And then if you put wings in a dip, even better. So good, so good. Well, I'm Joey Scarillo, and this year I made a great turkey chili that I was very proud of. Okay, here are the five things, or rather the five trends we should take away from Super Bowl 58. Mahal is gonna break down first how brands are tapping into scarcity, and second, how the use of two celebrities is better than one. Next, we'll dive into the weird fever dream that sort of ruled the day. Number four, mascots, they never die. And number five, how could we have this conversation without discussing the Taylor Swift of it all? Did you really think we weren't gonna mention Taylor and Travis? All right, friends, let's get into it. We've got so much to dive into. Mahal, kick us off with brands that are tapping into scarcity. Yeah, I thought that this was a really interesting theme and trope that we kept seeing in a couple of different ads this year. We were just seeing brands that were tapping into good old human psychology. So we saw that people were positioning their products as being scarce in whatever environment it was living in to really drive interest among consumers. So we know that scarcity drives urgency in consumers by associating the product with something that everyone really wants and something that you need to get your hands on before it sells out. So it does create this illusion of something that is valuable and highly sought after that if you're a consumer, you should also want. The best example I think that we saw this year was the Doritos Dinamita spot with Jenna Ortega. From the teaser to the actual Super Bowl spot, we saw the scarcity theme come up again and again. With the teaser, we were seeing that there were no bags left of the product in stores. 
And then during the actual spot, we just saw this like silly little theme of people fighting over the last bag. So really playing into that. Another example that we saw this year was Michelob Ultra that used Messi to tap into this theme. So we see that Messi asked for Michelob Ultra. It runs out. And I thought that was really interesting was that they had the bartender ask, oh, do you want another beer? And Messi refuses. So that was a really great way that the brand was able to position themselves as something with no alternative. It's either Michelob Ultra or no beer at all. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. You know, the Doritos ad was great. I like Doritos just as much as the next guy, but I'm not the person who runs out and grabs like the newest one. But these actually looked really good and interesting. So they they really did a good job of bringing that one through. Do you think, you know, specifically in the Doritos ad that this scarcity, idea maybe taps into a little bit of fear. I mean, it was only a few years ago that people were fighting over the last roll of toilet paper during COVID. So do you think there's some connection there? Do you think that's what the advertisers were going for? Totally. I think that we can't deny that consumers have seen scarcity play out in different ways for the past couple of years. I'm not going to say that this is a COVID trope, but maybe it does have a little bit of its early days in COVID. We saw people, you know, back in 2020 fighting for toilet paper rolls. And then as a result of COVID, we then had other ways that scarcity played out with supply chain issues with, you know, people not being able to get cars because they couldn't get the chips in it. And then I think that what we're seeing today in the modern day scarcity is when products are blowing up on TikTok and then it's impossible to get them because they sell out. So consumers are very, very familiar with not being able to get their hands on products. And it does really accentuate the fact that it's a beloved product. Yeah, I love the idea of treating a bag of Doritos like a Supreme drop, you know, like only certain people can get this or there's only one bag left. All right. Well, that's great. What a cool trend that you guys found there. All right. Let's dive into our second one because it's number two. Two celebrities are better than one. Why don't you talk to us about how many celebrities were in all these spots? There were a lot this year. A whopping 56% of brands were featuring celebrities in their spot. So a little over half, which is really crazy. I think that every year we are seeing an increase in celebrities that are being used. And it's no longer just having one celebrity in your spot. It's really a star-studded cast, which is a new kind of invention that we're seeing in the Super Bowl ads. So ads are really prioritizing integrating celebs naturally and creating an authentic spot for them to play in so that it doesn't just seem like you're having a celebrity for the sake of having a star in your spot. I think that what Sarah V did this year was really interesting by including Michael Sarah in their in their commercial. Obviously, I don't think that Michael Sarah is known as a celebrity with the most supple or moisturized skin, but his last name literally has the brand in the name. So I thought that this was a really interesting way that they were able to authentically tie in these two celebrities and brands in a way that felt interesting to consumers. It's interesting you brought up the Michael Sarah spot. I thought it was really creative, but not just the actual spot, but all of the lead up around it, like seeing him in a Brooklyn bodega, right, buying the product or writing his name on the product. It sort of felt a little reminiscent 
think it was one or maybe two years ago with Michael Buble doing the same thing with the bubbly. For some reason, this one felt like it hit a little, sort of hit more on culture and people tended to gravitate towards it a little bit more. But going back to having multiple celebrities, I'm curious, you know, what do you think is the secret? Is having more than one celebrity in a spot, does that make the spot successful? Does that hit home for you? Did it work in some spots better than other spots, right? Obviously, everyone's talking about the Duncan ad. It seemed like every shot had a celebrity in it versus like the Michelob ad that you mentioned that had a few random cameos. What what works better for you in your mind when it comes to using celebrities? Brands really put their money into celebrities with Duncan, Paramount, Elf. They all went for a lot of celebrities, but I don't think that necessarily throwing your money into celebrities is always successful. I think that you really need to be a part of the cultural zeitgeist and understand what is happening around culture. And that will lead how you should involve your celebrity into your brand's advertising. Hellman's Mayo, for example, had a really great way of integrating a couple of celebrities into their spot and then referencing specifically how Pete Davidson was allegedly dating this celebrity cat. And then they had a breakup very quickly. Obviously, Pete Davidson fans know that he might date around and have a lot of short term relationships. And thus, that makes a lot of sense for them. And it's just a little funny nod that I think gave them a lot of props with the fandoms. So all to say, you can have a lot of celebrities if you don't use them in the way that is maybe appropriate, maybe natural, maybe authentic. It's not going to land. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we love celebrities and spots, but this year it did seem like it was sort of turned up a notch. All right, let's dive into our third thing. We're just like moving right along here. This is great. So another theme that you found across all of the Super Bowl trends was brands diving into this sort of fever dream of some sort of reality or weird reality. Why don't you talk to us about that one? I think that what seems like the lion's share of these ads, to be frank, leaning weird, which I think is a spot to do it. If you're going to be trying these wacky storylines, the Super Bowl is the place to do it. And I think that consumers are prepped to watch these ads in a way that is more interesting than a typical spot that is running throughout the year. People want to be intrigued and people want to be pulled in by interesting stories. And so anything from, as I said earlier, cats becoming superstars and dating Pete Davidson to Dan Levy breaking windows of the homes.com office with a giant champagne cork or maybe Reese's fans smashing through walls in anger. There were a lot of wacky ads this year, which I think a lot of us got some laughs out of. Although there is still a space for them and we still saw them and some of them were big winners, maybe some brands are trying to lean away from those heartfelt, emotional ads that have been tropes forever forever. We've always seen these very heartfelt ads and we saw them again this year, but I do think that the majority were a little bit more on the wacky side. Which uh, which were some of your favorites? I really loved the Pluto TV spot. They had couch potatoes to represent couch potatoes. So they brought consumers into a field where they were harvesting couch potatoes and all of these people dressed up in literal potato outfits. We're just talking about their favorite spots. And I thought it brought a really fun American pride aspect 
to something that is usually viewed as negative, just sitting on the couch watching TV. But they brought this whole like Americana feeling to it. That was really cool. Yeah. Ironically, after the Super Bowl, maybe not directly because of the ad, but we we did download the Pluto app because there was a movie we wanted to watch. And it is really cool. It's kind of cool to watch TV again, just like whatever's on, you just watch. Yeah, so good on Pluto. That's awesome. I'm curious with all this like weird stuff that was happening, do you think do you think us as viewers are more primed for that kind of content because of things that we've seen on social media? Do you think that trickles into our viewing pleasure and that's why we're getting so weird? I mean, Super Bowl ads have always been weird. But now it seems like it's a little bit more, I don't know, just like it's less shocking, but we still like it. Absolutely. I think that social media has completely changed how we see stories and the stories we find intriguing and even our ability to pay attention for prolonged periods of time. So I think that a lot of these advertisers are trying to, obviously, because the spot is very short and you need to get your point across quickly, but also because attention span are now very short. We want to make sure that we are packing a punch very quickly. And I think that also because of social media, we're seeing that new things are humorous and new things are funny. And it's really fun because I think it's giving advertisers a lot of room to play and new ways to maybe try to tell stories that they might not have been empowered to do so before. They can now try new things because social media is really giving us the ability to tell stories in a way that might not have been accepted traditionally, if that makes sense. Oh, it totally does. Absolutely does. I think it's great. All right, let's move on to number four and let's talk about mascots because it is a football game after all. Football teams have mascots, of course, but so do brands. So tell us about how the mascots never die. So mascots, as we know, are just recognizable assets that brands we're not shying away from at all this year. And as I said before, with limited time to create memorability during a Super Bowl spot, it's really important that brands can create association with themselves as quickly as possible. And for a lot of them, mascots are a really great way to do that. So I think that a great moment this year was Mr. P and Pringles. So as we all know, Mr. P is the mascot with the mustache on all of the Pringles cans. And what Pringles did was anthropomorphize Mr. P into the beloved Chris Pratt. So they had this really great storyline about him kind of getting confused with Mr. P and all of the things that came along with that. And that was a really cool way that they used their mascot, which is something that we all know and that has become a part of their capital and really, really, really used it as an asset and used it to their advantage. And then this led them to an entire social activation and a social campaign where users were prompted to find Mr. P with the hashtag I see Mr. P and then share it on social. And so pretty much they were just asking people to look throughout their real world life and see if they could find anything. Maybe it was a crack in the pavement that looked like a man with a mustache, like the typical Mr. P mascot that we see. So that was a really fun way that mascots were involved this year in ads. That Pringle spot I thought was great, but 
maybe I'm a little biased. Gray did work with Pringles on that spot. They've been a client of ours and we've done some Super Bowl spots with them before. But objectively, I did not work on the spot. I loved it. I loved seeing Chris Pratt in that role. I'm a big fan of his from his work on going all the way back to Parks and Rec and then, of course, Guardians of the Galaxy and whatnot. So I thought it was great. I'm curious, do you know what reaction fans give whenever a brand doesn't use one of their mascots? What have we seen in the past years when, say, a brand tries to move away from some sort of mascot or brand identity? Yeah, we've seen this happen a couple of times in past years specifically. For example, Budweiser decided to step away from the Clydesdales last year during their Super Bowl ad, and there was an uproar. Everyone was like, where are the beloved horses? Like, where are they? And so this year, their spot centered completely around it. And I think that specifically was great for them to show that they were listening, that they are tapped into what their consumers are saying about them. And they gave the people what they wanted, which I think is the most important thing. M&M's did this too by last year saying that their mascots were going to take a hiatus, their spokes candy, as they call them. And then, of course, they brought them back. And this year we saw them in their spot where they deserve to be in a Super Bowl ad. Back with whatever footwear they're wearing. Exactly. <laughs> we love those M&Ms. Okay, before we get to our fifth and final thing here, I want to just say that this trends report that you all put out had more than five things in it, quite a few more. So if we could, because we have to end with talking about Taylor Swift, do you just want to quickly mention what the other two trends that you all found were? Yeah, the other trends we found was past campaign callback. So pretty much we're seeing that some brands are choosing to, instead of concepting an entire new they are building larger ecosystems that will continue coming up as the years go on in their Super Bowl ads. So we're not saying that they're going to do it for a third year, but we're seeing that some of these brands are saying, hey, this was a success. The people loved it. Let's do it again or let's do it in a different way that's interesting. Yeah. And we saw that what from the kick of destiny coming back and E-Trade Babies. Were there any others that jumped out to you? Yeah, Duncan's bringing back Ben Affleck, I thought was another great example of that. Yeah. And then what was the other trend that we found? The last trend we saw was about sweepstakes. So a couple of different brands decided to try to do some sort of giveaway, some sort of sweepstakes, but we saw that they're doing them in different ways that are a little bit more interesting than just enter to win. For example, DoorDash giving away everything that was advertised during the Super Bowl was an extremely creative, very cool, very interesting way to do a giveaway that didn't just lean on giving away money or anything of that sort. Another thing that it did that I thought was really great was really making sure that they were there was a reason for them to do that. They were trying to communicate that DoorDash is for more than just ordering food. You can order tens of thousands of other things. And that was a really cool way to showcase all of the different capabilities on the platform. Yeah, I thought that was a great ad. I thought it was a great campaign. I don't know if anyone has won. I haven't heard. Yeah, me neither. I love when brands work with other brands. I think being in the industry, we sort of understand how complex that can be. And so I just thought, 
kudos to DoorDash. I just thought that whole idea, everything you said was just really, really smart. Okay, friends, time to get into our fifth and final thing. How could we talk about the Super Bowl without talking about the Taylor Swift of it all? I mean, some may say that she stole the show. Some may say she stole the season. But I'm curious, what do you say? Thank you for asking, Joey. That's a great question. (laughs) Yeah, let's be honest. Taylor Swift has stolen the year. Everything has been Taylor, which is really interesting when it comes to sports, which is something that maybe a lot of us had never associated her with. But obviously her new relationship to Travis Kelsey has completely changed that. So before the Super Bowl, social media was saturated with speculations on is she going to make the Super Bowl or not? As we know, she had a show the previous day in Tokyo. And so fans were very concerned if she was going to be able to make it to the Las Vegas Super Bowl in time. But then there was also talk about people betting on how many times she was going to make a cameo on screen during the game. So she was everywhere. You cannot escape Taylor Swift. And Swift's influence really increased viewership among 12 to 17-year-old girls during the early NFL season by a whopping 53%. So you really can't deny that she had a true effect on all things Super Bowl related, beginning on the earlier sides of the season by bringing a whole new viewership to the NFL. And we believe that this is what likely influenced Cetaphil's ad and what they decided to develop by bringing a quote-unquote singer in They didn't have an official partnership with Taylor Swift, but they were making some very suggestive references to her and Travis Kelsey. But during their spot, they kind of showed how there was this relationship being bridged between a father and a daughter by being able to watch the football game together which was a really interesting thing that we saw in general happening on social by people saying that, you know, they could watch the football game with their fathers. What we've seen, not just at the Super Bowl, but throughout this entire season, is that there's no denying the Taylor Swift effect. There's only one Taylor Swift, right? There's only one NFL And what we learn from this is not going to be a recipe or a textbook or a masterclass in what every brand can do. I think to Travis and and Jason Kelsey, they've got a podcast that skyrocketed in the charts because of Travis dating Taylor. I don't think this podcast will be as lucky unless somebody on the show starts dating Taylor Swift or somebody like Taylor Swift. So these things are going to be really hard to recreate. But I guess my question for you is what can brands take away what we learn from watching Taylor Swift interact with the NFL and just being an icon this entire season? The halo effect that she has on so many brands just by associating herself with them or seeing how brands can tap into the culture that she has created around herself. So for example, Taylor wore a pair of sheer text tights to the AFC championship game. Immediately after that happened, the product sold out immediately. Immediately. And so I think that understanding that sometimes it's just sheer luck, no pun intended, of maybe the celeb already likes your product and it's going to have really great business effect. But also, if you understand Taylor and everything that's happening around her and what seemingly ranch means, then you can tap into it and you can have a lot of success on social and being able to speak about these celebrities and how they might relate to your product is a way that brands can win quick and win easy on social. But obviously with the 
warning of you can't seem gimmicky. You want to be authentic. You want to do it in a way that really makes your product shine. And it doesn't just feel like a money grab or it doesn't seem like a place that your brand doesn't belong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So pay close attention to what is going on and the zeitgeist. And if you don't understand it, it's probably not best for your brand to post it. Those are all great trends, great insights, really awesome conversation. Mahal, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Joey. This is so fun. Yeah, of course. We're going to have you back for sure. Well, that does it for us. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to discuss. You can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. Connect with us on Spotify by sharing your thoughts on the show just for the Q&A field. This week, we have a whole crew to thank for helping us build this trends report. The team includes Gabrielle Marchand, Claire Heaps, Samantha Fisher, Jean Donahue, Gabriella Mercier, Shailene Radinsky, Emily Rizzo, Montana Allen, Brianna Hunt, Will Leonard, Alex Black, with special thanks to Ari Santana, and of course, our guest today, Mahal Booksbaum. Mahal, like I said, let's make it a thing. This podcast is produced by Samantha Geller and Jada Hines, post-production by Amanda Fuentes, Guy Rosemarin, Kyle St. Agath, and Ned Martin at Gramercy Park Studios. The Five Things is hosted and executive produced by me, Joey Scarilla. You can now listen to this show on YouTube. Look for us at Famously Effective. We'll be posting our episodes there. And of course, you can listen to us on all of the podcast apps. A quick program note here, The Five Things will be released every other week moving forward. If you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, you can do that in the show notes. And that is it for us this week, listener. Thank you. And as always, please be social. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.